the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Spring gleaning makes its way to the Big 12. We got a lot of work to do, gentlemen, because we got to get through the whole conference before football happy hour starts, and, and Danny Cannell's got to go and entertain the masses. Catch him out. Catch him on CBS Sports HQ, cbsportshq.com, or through the CBS Sports app, which I hope everyone is using to be able to keep up with all the March Madness. I don't even think that, so like few headlines uh, over the weekend, Howard Schnellenberger, rest in peace, uh, passed away. You also had uh, the retirement for Barry Alvarez. Do you think that he stepped away from coaching and he came back? Will he be an interim AD somewhere? Barry Alvarez. (laughs) I'm I'm saying can't trust him. Can't trust him. As soon as the next Wisconsin AD is fired or takes another job, Barry, Barry will step in to fill in his shoes for the time being. Yeah. And he'll do a great job. He'll, he'll uh, lead the athletic department through a bowl game. Um, but other than that, we do have, uh, 10 teams to get through. So let's begin in the order of finish from last season so that we can, uh, you know, stay honest here and not pick favorites. Iowa state cyclones eight and one in big 12 play nine and three overall. And we begin with the team where I don't have many questions. I mean, they bring back so much. They've got one of the best, one of the two best quarterbacks in the Big 12. Uh, the defense is going to be uh, bringing back a ton of starters. The only two positions I had circles were circled were wide receiver and defensive line, both places where it sounds like even Matt Campbell and his staff just sort of have a handful of guys, and, and we'll see who emerges at those two positions. But I don't have a lot of concerns. I think Iowa State should be good, and the questions that stand out to me are ones that we really ask in August, where it's like, all right, expectations. Are you going to go do it? Are you going to make a playoff run? It feels very big picture right now because so many so many of our um, you know day-to-day, position-by-position questions, they seem to already be answered even before spring practice starts. Okay, but what are your expectations for Iowa State? That they compete for a Big 12 championship in a college football playoff spot. But not a playoff. Oh, wait. So you think they can compete for a playoff spot? They can't. I mean, I think that that's what they're expecting. Yeah, I, I think that that should be the, their expectation. I'm not picking it, but I, I think that you got to go into the year, given everything that's in place in the season you had, got to say, all right, let's go. Let's make a run at it. And Danny, you think they can get there too? Well, I think, no, I would not pick them to do it. I think they will be a trendy, trendy pick uh, from a lot of people. A lot of returners, Brock Purdy coming back, Brees Hall coming back. I think a lot of people will be on Iowa State. And it's kind of like, 
I don't want this to sound offensive to Iowa State fans, but we talk about certain teams. We talk about returning starters, right? Um, and if you know if your bad team is that a good thing? Well, with Iowa State, are their returning starters good enough for whoever's Oklahoma's going to replace people with? You know, in Texas and the other teams that are up there. Now, I will say this: they've cut the gap where they're in that upper tier of talent in the Big Twelve. I just. It's kind of like Alabama in the SEC. Like you got to have something special to pick a different team other than Alabama to win the SEC. Same thing with Clemson and the ACC and same thing with Ohio State. And I don't know if the talent is special enough to make me go out on a limb and say, man, this team is going to win the Big 12 and, and, and excuse me, knock off Oklahoma and get to a playoff spot. Because, yeah, if they win the Big 12 with one loss – they're in the conversation. See, yeah, that's, I, I think we're all on the same page here. Cause going into the spring, I don't have too many questions about this team because I think it was a good team last year. I think it's been a good team the last few years, but I also like what you're saying, Daniel, like everybody in the world is going to be on Iowa state this year. They're going to be an underdog, which is kind of causing me to back off because it's like, I get it. I understand why people are high on it. They've got a ton of people coming back. They've got a good quarterback. They've got a really good coach. They've got a good coaching staff and they've shown an ability to really develop the program, develop the players and to a certain extent overachieve based on the talent that they have. It's just, there's still a part of me that looks at last year with how crazy things were and the conditions that everybody was playing in. Like, that's the first time Iowa State has ever finished a season in the top 10 of the AP poll. Like they finished at number nine in the final rankings. I think it's only the third or fourth time they've ever finished a season, period, ranked. That's true. And it's like I have a difficult time looking at the history and results of this program in the long haul thinking, okay, that's just the norm now. They're going to be a top 10 team. They're going to compete for a Big 12 title, all that stuff. I think that they can. It's just... I don't have, like I said, going into this spring, I'm not looking at this like, hmm, I need to see this. I need to see this. I think I know what I'm going to get with Iowa State. It's just I think I'm probably going to get eight and four. And I think it's going to be a good eight and four. And there's going to be some wins that they should win, but they're going to lose some close games, you know, and that they have a chance to win. I think that's just the way things are going to work out. Because when I still compare this team to the rest of the Big 12, and we're going to go through the rest of the conference as it stands, obviously, it's just not as talented a team as it has to compete with to win the conference. So I think it's going to be a very solid team. I just, I, I don't see another top 10 season coming. I, I could see it. Um, I, I agree with, with, with the points you guys made. Uh, the, I think the downside risk with Iowa State is, is greater than the upside risk, right? They see, I, I think they are very close to maximizing, you know, the, the win total based on the talent that they have. And yet they bring back, you know, an absolute ton of experience, Right, you have a lot of guys who have played a lot of a lot of high quality football here. It is worth noting that the team we'll probably talk about next or, or the one after. Uh, look, you kind of had to get Oklahoma last year. We all said this as part of our preseason narrative. And Iowa State, they got them once. They didn't get them twice. You know, they obviously lost in the championship game. But if I think like, what are the next steps this team can take? First thing they have to do, I I think is is replace Bailey. Right, as a pass rusher, I mean. Pressure rate of 10%, seven sacks on the year. I mean, he was one of their best pass rushers, 29 pressures and, you know, like forcing 14 incompletes interceptions. That's that's a fairly big deal, you know, based on, on his pressure. So they, they got to figure out a way to replace Bailey. Um, I, I will say that Lawrence White basically like never left the field 
he had 377 coverage snaps for those guys. So that not that he was an amazing player, but the, that that's a not a zero loss. But my main concern for this team, uh, really, guys, is is the receiver position. Um, I, I, they did not do a good job of getting the ball down the field last year. They, they were what ninety something, I think, in passing explosiveness. Just not a not a team that really had guys who scared you on the outside. I mean, Xavier Hutchinson was their best receiver by far, and and yet, I mean, you know, not not great. Just a solid player. I. They need to have somebody step up at receiver, I think, because I very much doubt that Oklahoma is going to be that down in terms of firepower two years in a row. Yeah, I will, if, if you look at the efficiency aspect of it, like on defense, if you want to go by points per drive, Iowa State and Oklahoma were nearly identical. Like Iowa State allowed 1.55 points per drive and Oklahoma allowed 1.59. But if you go to the offensive side of the ball, there was a huge gap between Oklahoma and Iowa State. Oklahoma finished first in the Big 12, averaging 3.19 points per drive. Iowa State was third. They were behind Texas at only 2.71. And I just, I think that the results last year weren't, like, not to take anything away because they had the best regular season record. They did beat Oklahoma once. Obviously, Oklahoma won the title game against them. But I just don't think the results were fairly accurate. And as I mentioned at times during last year, I thought it was just karma coming back for an Iowa State team that had played better at its record in the previous years was getting some of the better luck that it didn't get in the last few years, and it kind of just evened out last year. But when it showed up in the Big 12 championship game, it it was every bit the part. I mean, they you're right. They lost. Oklahoma got them, but that game was 27-21, and Oklahoma didn't get in the end zone after halftime. Like, I, I kind of think that I'm looking at it more as like, this is the window, right? Like, you were right there in the Big 12 title game, and – couldn't get it done. You got it another year, kind of the same group bringing it back. I, I kind of feel like they should go in with confidence that they can beat Oklahoma again. I don't, I mean, beating Oklahoma twice, you, we all know that we're not going to bet on that, but I, I don't think that it was like they got outclassed in the big 12 title game. Maybe TCU a couple years ago was one example of that where maybe TCU won the regular season, but then when Oklahoma played them in the championship game, just dusted them. I, I kind of think that Iowa state defensively, they were facing one of the better versions of Oklahoma, and they still did a good job against it. So it's, uh, I, I think that it's fair to put them on that championship level tier with them for this year. Not big picture, since you've only finished in the AP Top 25 at the end of the season three or four times. That's Tom point. What are the odds we look back and we say, oh, shoot, 2020 was the window uh, for Iowa State? If, uh, if like Brees Hall goes down with an injury. Or if they just continue to not like to score in in the low twenties in their biggest games. I mean, yeah. twenty one against Oklahoma, you know, twenty three against Texas, twenty one in the lost Oklahoma State. Um, you know, like that offense, it's a good offense. It's just it's not an explosive offense yet. When they That's, need to reach back and and you know pump ninety eight in the ninth inning, they don't have it. No, mm-hmm. it's not how they're I mean, built. Do you guys remember preseason last year? Brock Purdy was supposed to be like potential first rounder like there was a lot of love coming Brock Purdy's way that he was going to be way one of the top tier quarterbacks in the country and of course when you set the bar that high and the expectation that high when you play much less than that (laughs) less than the expectations uh you know it makes it look a lot worse but he's they got to get more out of Brock Purdy too I mean they relied on Brees Hall which was fantastic I mean he was probably the surprise of the season out of the big 12 with uh, uh, Hubbard being the guy that was supposed to be taking all the reps. But I still think Brock Purdy's got to give us more if they want to, you know, take down Oklahoma. 
He looked like an NFC East quarterback winning ugly games in the mid-20s, figuring yep. out ways to get it done. Uh, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Sooners, 6-2 and two in Big 12 play, 9-2 and two overall. A lot to be excited about. Uh, Spencer Rattler, after a little bit of a shaky start to the season, came on strong. This whole Oklahoma team, they, they got some important pieces back in the lineup and you know, now we're starting to look at next season with uh, another year with Rattler, young wide receivers, real talented. Uh, this is going to be uh, one of the best offenses, not just in the Big 12, but in the entire country. Kennedy Brooks is back after opting out. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson is gone, but Eric Gray is in from Tennessee. Also wanted to note Seth McGowan, who played all right uh, in a couple spots as Oklahoma was uh, really pressed at that running back position. Speaking of Tennessee, we've got some position battles along the offensive line. Biedenball always gets a lot of credit for leading some of the best offensive lines around. That that group, like the rest of the offense, kind of took the whole season to get their footing. But hey, again, pandemic season. Uh, I'm willing to, you know, say say there's some reason for that. Wanye Morris is going to be in there joining that group. They got to replace Creed Humphrey at center. I think that's big. And defensively, while I don't think they have anything settled on the back end, does Oklahoma have one of the better defensive fronts in the conference? Because I think there might be an argument, and if so, you're looking at a team that's going to have one of the top two or three quarterbacks, the best passing offense, and potentially one of the best defensive fronts. Uh, Shocker, Oklahoma goes into the season likely as the favorite to win the Big 12. Yeah, we're looking at our Big 12 champ. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's what it feels like. (laughs) Next. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I just think that like going into the spring, the questions I have, like you're right, Chip, that offensive line last year was good, but it wasn't as good as the Oklahoma offensive lines we'd seen the previous years, but it wasn't bad. I I think receiver is the most interesting aspect to this team this spring, just to see who, if anybody's going to step forward, because obviously Oklahoma always has receivers, but we don't, there's no proven guy right now. So there's going to be some open spots. There's going to be competition. And as we've seen, I don't think they need elite receivers to win the big 12, but if they want to get to the playoff and win a game this time, they're going to need somebody to step up and become that guy to make big plays. Because I do think Spencer Rattler is going to improve this year. He's improved as last season went on, and I think he's probably the best QB in the Big 12. He's one of the best QBs in the country. So I just look at this team's talent. I look at the way the defense improved last year. I don't think it's going to be an elite defense in 2021, but I think it could be good enough. And I think that that front seven is pretty good and it better be one of the best in the conference, considering how they out recruit everybody in the conference besides Texas. But I just, it's the clear cut best team is is in a, in a vacuum where nothing goes wrong and everybody's at full strength. I just think there's a huge gap between Oklahoma and everybody else in this conference in 2021. I think that, I mean, we'll go ahead. No, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, well, like specifically, I think Marvin Mims at wide receiver is like, that's, you got to go to him and you got to say he's there. I know that, mm-hmm. uh, Bud, you've been a big Jaden Hazelwood um, champion of his. Uh, there are a lot of players that were freshmen and sophomores last year who, who played a big role in the passing game. And I think that when you think about everybody from that group coming back, and I think that you, even they've continued to recruit the wide receiver position well, it's uh, like, isn't that the reason Charleston Rambo probably left? He looked around and he saw young dudes that were going to take his role. And he said, ah, later. So that's, I'm, I'm excited. That's my thought. Like I, I had Rambo leaving. Like, can we read something into this? Because if you look at this, who's a better passer? All right. Deer King or Spencer Rattler? Like whose offense is better for catching balls? Mm, all right. So you're leaving a place that is, you know, you're going to catch a lot more balls and probably, you know, be more productive. 
to go to Miami. Now, maybe it's just big fish, small pond as far as Miami's receiving room, like we talked about a couple episodes ago. I think that there's a lot of talent here, guys, like a whole lot, right? So Theo Weiss can play. Marvin Mims has a lot of upside. Um, you know, Drake Stoops played decently for them, actually. But then, like we talked about, you know, Trajan Bridges is is a stud if he can you know stay focused, stay healthy, stay on the field. Hazelwood was the guy who was you know, legitimately in a conversation for the number one receiver in his recruiting class, and he has just not been able to stay healthy there. I, I haven't seen him you know, a, a whole lot recently, but assuming he hasn't lost a step from the injury stuff, he should still be really, really good. I, I, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm buying this receiving core, you know, for this year. I, I'm a little bit worried about replacing Creed Humphrey and, and Adrian Ely. Like, you know, Ely was a, was a very nice tackle for them. Humphrey was one of the best centers in the country. Um, but I think this offense overall, because of, of the, the greater experience that it has, w- will be more buttoned up this year and we'll have fewer sort of unforced errors. They were actually very uncharacteristically 110th in havoc rate allowed last year. And that's just not something that Oklahoma typically does. I think it was very much youth-related, whether you know, receivers running the wrong routes or Rattler being young or you know the, the offensive line kind of being in flux there. But they got it together at the end of the year. And the stuff that Kansas State was doing to them, other teams didn't do to them nearly as well you know, down, down the stretch last year. Um, defensively, kind of bullish as well right i losing ronnie perkins sucks perkins is a real difference maker but nick benito south ford kid um pretty good pass rusher for them last year they have stripling still they get caleb kelly back at linebacker uh, somebody who you know was out for what the whole year mm-hmm. last year and then something i noticed on defense like their their explosive play rate was, was was very high and it was basically the only thing that wasn't you know good or very good about that defense and i think the one spot where they're really not losing very much off last year's team is in that back seven. So, you know, if those guys can communicate better, have fewer busts, I mean, that, that could really be be a nice help here for the Sooners who, who are my conference favorite for sure. So what kind of odds can I get on Oklahoma or the field, and does anybody want to take the field? Ooh. If you give me three to one, I'll take the field. <sighs> All right, yeah. On that one. I'm oh, yeah. All right. Put it on the tab. I'm always a field guy. Although right. I do think Oklahoma, I think this year Oklahoma wins their first playoff game. You know, like, so I'm bullish on Oklahoma. I just always take the field because what happens if something, you know, injuries happen, stuff goes down. I thought, like, the defense, Alex Grinch, I think is subtly, I think this defense is beginning better and better. Um, Spencer Rattler, if you look last year, he had seven picks on the year. Five of them came in the first four games. Remember halftime, he got benched against Texas and like, it like flipped the switch. It's like, yeah, can't throw it to the other team anymore. And he definitely dialed in, was more careful with the football. Um, you guys mentioned some of the losses out the offensive line was Rattler's mobile enough where it shouldn't be a big problem while they're working in some of these new spots along the offensive line. Um, so I think this is the year like that Oklahoma gets in position to win their first playoff game, play for a national championship. I don't know if I'm willing to go far and say, hey, this team's going to win it all, but I think this will be their best team that they've had yet. That'll be fun. Hey, Cover 3 listeners, it's still madness time in the sports world with the NCAA tournament as crazy as ever. See how many points they scored in overtime? Preposterous. But if you're a diehard sports fan, it means you want to stay in the know with all sports. And that's where CBS Sports HQ is your streaming answer. 
Just think about what's on tap this week alone. We've got NFL draft and off-season coverage, MLB opening day on Thursday, Bellator 255 on Friday, golf picks and highlights, and of course, unmatched breaking news coverage. I was on earlier today, and sure enough, Matt Norlander was just breaking news about Oklahoma State coach Mike Boynton getting an extension in the middle of an HQ hit. It absolutely never stops. It's available on your computer, on your phone via the CBS Sports app, and on your connected TV. I leave it on all day, and if you live and breathe sports, I'd encourage you to do so as well. The Oklahoma State Cowboys. Dare I say, upon review, maybe the the record was better than the team kind of felt. But maybe that's because of expectations. Just because I go into the year thinking, boom, Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace. This is the best quarterback, running back, wide receiver trio in college football. And I had all these expectations. And, I mean, the offense was okay, Oklahoma State was really like led by its defense. Like the reason why Oklahoma State won and was successful had nothing to do with that headlining trio. Uh, Hubbard's gone. Wallace is gone. Also, Dylan Stoner's gone. Spencer Sanders was loose with the ball. He saw his touchdown to interception ratio flip dramatically from that freshman season. I think at the wide receiver position, I take note of um, remember Wallace played a half, but then opted out of the bowl game at halftime. It was pre-planned. It was pre-planned. Uh, but Brennan Presley had a, a really good game in that, uh, a really good performance in that bowl game. So I'll be curious to see if he ends up being the new wide receiver one there. They bring back a lot of players on defense. Can the defense be strong again? And uh, is it is it fair to have? Um, is it fair to have the expectation that Oklahoma State's offense might just be okay? And what does that say about Spencer Sanders and or Mike Gundy uh, as we go into this spring looking for answers? I was going to say the defense better still be pretty good. Because I, I don't I, see any answers to say things are going to be awesome on offense. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of that's going to depend on if Spencer Sanders improves at all. Because it's, it's strange because if you look at his stats from a freshman to sophomore now, obviously they played two fewer games last season. But as a freshman, he completed 155 passes on 247 attempts. As a sophomore, he completed 155 passes on 247 attempts. You don't see that a lot where a guy has the same attempts and completions from year to year, but his yards per attempt went down by 0.3 yards per attempt. His adjusted yards stayed about the same. So it's like he pretty much had the same season as a sophomore that he had as a freshman. It's just when you have that season as a freshman, you're like, hey, this is a kid showed a lot as freshman. He's got potential to grow. But then when you do it as a sophomore, it's like wheels are still kind of spinning in the mud. You don't know if he's going to improve or if he's just a finished product who you've tapped into and you've gotten everything you got. And then as you mentioned with the players that they're losing on offense, it's like, okay, he's losing a lot of the talent around him. And now you really need him to take that step forward. So if he does, I think Oklahoma state is a team that could be, you know, a, a pleasant surprise in the big 12 this year. If he doesn't, I think it could be kind of a downer kind of season for the Cowboys, which is another one of the reasons why, again, I'm taking Oklahoma over the field. So, like, their run game sucked last year. Yes. I mean, they, they, were, they were 111th in, in rushing success rate, right, and 80th in rushing efficiency. And, and yet I looked at it, and I was like, man, you know, their passing game was was fine on an efficiency basis. And, and I was thinking about it, and, and I really think – this is where like going to the numbers more helps you and having watched the games can really help because 
I really think defenses were just ganging up against the run against these guys last year and daring them to beat them through the air, trying to keep Spencer Sanders in the pocket, right? I mean, and looking at this, teams basically zoned them and didn't think Spencer Sanders could complete balls against zone. They they faced zone more than 75% of the time, which is you know pretty well above the national average. I think the teams were just trying to take away the run game and, okay, if, if Sanders beats us with his arm – Fine. And some of his numbers were okay, but oftentimes he, he was not able to beat them, you know, with his arm, particularly when they got into obvious passing situations. That just that that wasn't happening. So yeah, I, I do share y'all's concerns about, you know, about about the offense. I will say the one thing that makes me a little bit more bullish on it is yeah, they, they lose Jackson, right? Who, you know, is, is an awesome offensive tackle. But like the rest of the offensive line last year was a total mess with injuries. I mean, they had guys go down nonstop. I remember looking at the preseason, like who who they have left? Like, like are they going to be playing walk-ons here? And you know, Tulsa ate them up early in the year, like basically because the offensive line couldn't block. And I think that you could avoid a big drop-off in offense if the offensive line is just somewhat better and a little bit more consistent. Because you know, good offensive line or at least an okay one with a guy who can move around like Spencer Sanders, they they could make some happen. And I I don't want to under you know, just discount Gundy's ability to put up points. But, yeah, they <laughs> they do lose an awful lot. Um, I think their secondary would be much better, too, on the other side of the ball. I'm, I'm not quite as down on this team as it sounds like Tom is. I'm not down on them either. I – but, again, I'm, I'm kind of like Tom. Like, well, I'm not picking them to win the Big 12, right. but, hello, that's not – you know, but, like – I wouldn't be surprised if they're the second or third best. Like, I think that's a pretty good ceiling for them to reach, like to challenge Oklahoma for the Big 12. Um, their defense, um, seven guys returning. The offensive line, which you mentioned, six of them have, because of some of those I- I- injuries, they get to cycle in. They actually get some playing experience. They got six starters on the offensive line, or six players with starting experience coming back. So that's a good thing. Um, and this team was a completely different look because the run game was shut down so massively. And it was also, you had 26 sacks given up and Spencer Sanders missed a couple games because he was hurt. Like it was a lot to overcome. In fact, when we're doing this, I was kind of surprised. I forgot that they finished this high in the big 12. Cause I feel like we wrote them off last year. You know, like I was like, oh, I pictured them around 500. You're like, oh, wait a second. They had a nice bowl performance. Like they actually won that game. Like this team, didn't go anywhere it just wasn't the team we thought it was going to be so I think their defense will be back I think they'll be good I think they'll be pretty solid and I agree with all you guys I think it's going to determine like Spencer Sanders if can he take that next step like does he have another gear to get to and maybe with a run game maybe you get that out of him oh Danny two things number one I also think just sometimes we see young quarterbacks improve on their ability to throw to the middle of the field um, as they get older and for Spencer Sanders, that was something that he just did not do really at all, right? So 51% of his passes went to outside receivers. That's basically the tops in the country. Mm. So, like, he was constantly putting the ball outside. If he does keep Check with that pass, Thailand. <laughs> yeah, right? And, like, backs, nope. Tight ends, nope. Slots, not really. Just don't, chucking it outside. Um, I will say Tay Martin could be a dude who could be a breakout guy for them at, at receiver. And I know they got a lot to replace at receiver, but I – I think Tay Martin has an ability to step up and uh, and do some stuff for them. He, he actually kind of flashed a little bit last year as, as a reserve. The Texas Longhorns, five and three, 
Seven and three after an awesome bowl performance. Casey Thompson, Bijan Robinson, and see you later, Tom Herman. Thanks for the bowl win, but you can pack your things now and your new coordinators too because Steve Sarkeesian is loading up a caravan. They're leaving Tuscaloosa, and they're coming down to Austin. Sark arrives with a, a star-studded uh, coaching staff, many from the Crimson Tide. Uh, also, he went out to go get Pete Kwiatkowski in as the defensive coordinator. And so, you know, we, we put in some of the same expectations and questions that we do for a lot of these first-year coaches, especially ones who inherit rosters as talented as Texas is. What's it going to look like? What do we know? Like who, what can we get from spring practice, from the, your spring notes and tidbits and everything we're getting from the boots on the ground? What can we do to create an expectation? Because we don't have much from last year. Quarterback battle is going to be the headliner here. Uh, Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. Thompson, as we just mentioned with the awesome performance in the bowl game, Hudson Card, let's run back an old sound clip because just like how C.J. Stroud was number three quarterback in the class behind Bryce Young and D.J. Uyunglele, that's right. Am I correct? Hudson Card was the number four, one spot behind C.J. Stroud? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so hey, yeah. If I don't know how far I can stretch that down in the quarterback rankings from that class to make you sound awesome because of your proximity to D.J. Uyunglele, but it extends to Hudson Card. Um, Brennan Eagles and uh, Tariq Black, the Michigan transfer, are both gone. Joshua Moore, the leading returning receiver. I think Bijan Robinson is is one of the big, most exciting all-purpose stars in all of college football. Uh, so, I mean, those, those are the pieces that you've got there. What do you look like on defense? Lottie Sarkier won questions. Uh, Texas is one of the most interesting places in the country right now for college football. So, uh, I don't know. Where's, where are y'all's heads at? What's, what's on the top of mind for spring practice? Ellinger actually was a good QB last year. Yeah. Like, like good throwing the ball for on, I, I used to kind of dog him a little bit. I, I thought he was more of just a, you know, Tim Tebow light, like a runner, but not really a great thrower. And last year he actually threw the ball well. So like who wins this quarterback battle is actually going to have pretty big throwing shoes to fill. What, whether it's card or, or Thompson. And I, I, I think Texas quarterback room is really nice here. I, I think Thompson and card can both play. Uh, and so I, I don't think anybody's going to win the job absent injury just by by default. So I, I feel like that's that's something to look out for there. Like they should have decent quarterback play. Sark pretty much always does. So I'm fairly confident they'll have, you know, good QB play. Uh I will say last year their receivers let them down over and over again, man. I mean, and now so Brennan Eagles is gone. Jake Smith is already out for spring with I believe I read on on uh, Horns 24/7 with a foot fracture. Um you know, they they I'm a little bit concerned about the receiver position here, especially with a new quarterback you're breaking in. Um, and then defensively, is Jawan Mitchell gone again? Like, I don't know how many times he's going to jump into the transfer portal, but it seems like he's not around for spring practice right now. He was our leading tackler last year. And then I think replacing Joseph Asai is not necessarily super easy. I mean, he he was kind of like just plug him in and pass rush last year. So those are kind of what I'm watching for with Texas. There's pieces here I like. Certainly, you know, Bijan is is nasty. Uh, but there's some real questions here. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting spot and what I'm I'm kind of excited for in in 2021 because I think there's a pretty decent range of outcomes because I I I don't think Tom Herman if you look at his results in Austin's like they weren't as good as Texas fans wanted, but 
they were trending in the right direction. Like it's the first time I felt like there was a coach at, at Texas that had a positive trajectory going, even though not in comparison to the expectations in a long time. And I think that Sark is inheriting a pretty good roster, even if a lot of the production from last year has gone. So I look at the situation. I'm like, this, this team could be pretty darn good in 2021. And I think Sark's a very good offensive mind. We saw what he was able to do at Alabama to help that offense and make, make it one of the most elite offenses in the country. So I look at the quarterback talent he has. I look at B. John Robinson, and I think of B. John Robinson being used more in like the same kind of ways we saw Najee Harris used with Alabama, and I think that could be really good for that Texas offense. I think that offensive line was good. It loses a couple key guys, but I still think that they've recruited and developed enough there where I'm not worried about that being a problem. I think there's plenty of talent on the defensive end. So I think that, honestly, as I break down the teams just looking at them from what we know right now, I feel like Texas is the number two team in the conference. It doesn't mean I think it's going to win the conference. I think it could be a nine and three team and still be the second best team in the big 12 this year. So I just see a lot of talent. I see a good coach in Sark and I see a team that was in a good spot last year. And I don't think Tom Herman was fired because of his coaching. I think he was fired because of the eyes of Texas and all that crap off the field. So I'm kind of excited about Texas. That doesn't, I, I, again, they could completely crash and go seven and five, six and six, but I, I see a pretty high ceiling for them heading into the spring. I do too. I'm more bullish on Texas, but then like when you dive deeper into it, you look at how, because I, I was under the impression that he's inheriting a full cupboard, right? Like a pretty good situation of young talent, which probably is the case. But then you look at the defense which was eighth in the Big 12 with 17 sacks, five of which came from Joseph Asai, who's gone. Graham had two. He's gone as well. You're like, all right, where is the pass rush going to come from? You know, where is a physical team up front going to come from? But maybe you don't need it in the Big 12 as much against some of these teams. Um, I, I'm, I'm, Bud said something about Sam Ellinger where I think this could go one of two ways. Um, one is... I think there's a faction of Texas fans, and I would put myself in this as a Sam Ellinger. Like, this is my take on him. I think he's a really good college quarterback, but I think you maxed out his potential. I think there might be something more there at quarterback, but I also could see wildly inconsistent play with the young quarterback breaking in, whoever it is, Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, you're like, man, we missed that steady ship that just gave us every time we knew exactly what we're going to get. But – Maybe you get that next year and you get a little bit more of a playmaker. You get somebody and like, again, Ellinger was good. He wasn't great. If they stumble upon a great quarterback, that could be the difference where all of a sudden this team is deep in the season, uh, you know, contending in the big 12 and maybe they don't beat Oklahoma the first time around, but they're positioning themselves for a rematch in the big 12 championship game. Uh, The receiver position is an uh, issue where you know what type of talent are they going to develop but i trust sark as a play caller but then i'm kind of like well he's got a lot on his plate now as the head coach like how much time is he getting to spend drawing up you know the same type of plays that he was doing in alabama and he doesn't have the same level of talent up front we're all excited about Bijan robinson how does he utilize him but i am more bullish on texas i think i fall in line with tom like i think they'll challenge oklahoma i don't think they'll beat them but this would be the one in the bet of the field where I'd kind of be like, oh, maybe, maybe Texas. But, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if they're – I don't know if I would say around 500, but I think a 7-5 and five opening season, 8-4, and four, 
would be clearly a letdown with the excitement that they're right now. And yet I wouldn't be totally shocked. Like if there's inconsistent play at quarterback and the, sec- the secondary is getting worked over and just giving up four or 500 yards of passing game, I wouldn't be shocked either. Yeah. I, w- I will say, oh, Alfred Collins is the name to watch defensive line. Like total freak was a Baylor commit for a long time. Texas flipped him late. He's he's a dude who, if it all clicks, he has like no doubt first round athleticism size combo. So that, that that's the guy they're going to be counting on, or one of them at least, you know, to replace some some of those size production. Yeah, and to go along with like the pass rush concerns for them going into the year, because you know sometimes sacks can be misleading. Like sometimes you get a lot of pressure on QBs, but you don't finish the sack, and it, you just look at sacks and say, "Wow, this team couldn't get any pressure." But if you just look from PFF's uh, pass rush rate, which is just the percentage of plays the defense controls the line of scrimmage. Texas had a 52.7%, which ranks sixth in the Big 12 and was below the national average of 54. So it, it's not just a case where they weren't getting home. They weren't really getting pressure either, and that is something that they do need to improve. I, the last thing I'll say on Texas, I thought last year that their defense did not look well-coordinated, and that is probably not a reflection on the coaching as much as it is on trying to install a new scheme during COVID times, right? And then yeah. like not working together well in the Big 12 where – even though the QB play was down last year in the Big 12, most teams at least attempt to chuck it around. They, they gave up far too many you know, just kind of dumb completions, you know, stuff that was like, oh, they got six yards on third and five again. And it, it just – that had to be frustrating as a Texas fan last year. And, uh, you know, n- not, the, not to stray too far away from our numbers and from our hard science and evidence, but I do think that there's a intangible – for Steve Sarkeesian and this new staff. I mean, that's a that was a tough year for Texas to go through all that, have the the changeover on the coaching staff, have the kind of season you had. Tom Herman gets fired. Like, there's a decent amount of like, hey, if you can win the locker room over, then yeah, your ceiling is going right there head to head with Oklahoma. But I think that you're I don't not expect the crash and burn scenario, but I would say that it is as important as play calling or at least drawing up a scheme uh, for this spring is just making that connection with the locker room. Get them on your side. It's important for uh, Sark and all of those coaches. TCU five and four in big 12 play six and four overall uh, offensive line was a mess last season. Uh, we've got a change on that staff tight ends coach moves inside to be the new offensive line and they're rebooting it. They got a guy named Brandon Coleman in from the Juco route that, uh, that showed up in, in my research. We are of course uh, comfortable with our quarterback position, Max Duggan, which Max Duggan being able to play football, that that sure seemed like it was an exciting thing to, to even celebrate last season. Now we're, now let's uh, let's start to see a step forward for him. I, th- I think that it, the offense in general wasn't very explosive. Defensively, they should be solid up front, but we might have some questions in the secondary. There hasn't been uh, long periods of time in the Gary Patterson TCU tenure where there isn't a spike, right? Like he's he's pretty good at even if it's a down on the on the chart he gets back up there he flirts with or gets double digit wins every couple of years. It's been a minute since the last spike, so um, I, I think that it's a it's an interesting spot for TCU where I I don't see the pieces in place, but I, I'm looking forward to be being proven wrong. Um, where y'all at with the Horn Frogs? Uh, I'm gonna come to the offensive line's defense here. Okay, you're slanderous accusations okay i don't think tcu's offensive line was that bad last year i think they had a quarterback who held on to the ball a lot 
mm-hmm. and who kind of just danced around in the pocket before taking off and then kind of got tackled and it counted as sacks and all that kind of stuff. Because if you look at the metrics, like they're TC's offensive line finished in line yards 55th, which isn't great. Standard downs 37th, which is pretty good. Passing downs 113th. But that's also because they had a higher sack rate. And again, if you look at the rest of their metrics and just from watching with the eye test, it suggests to me a lot of those sacks were on the QB, not so much the line. So hanging on to it too much, scurrying mm-hmm. around. So please apologize to the TCU offensive line, Chip. Well, most of them are gone. All right. We're rebooting <laughs> the damn line. Okay. One way or another, <laughs> we got new contributors that are stepping in. <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, no, I, I think this is it's an interesting year. I I don't have a great read on the Horned Frogs going to the spring. I do feel like I think it's an important year because you mentioned that they haven't had the Gary Patterson spike. And I feel like we're approaching that point where it's like we can no longer just assume that that good season is going to come. And I feel like this is a kind of, this is going to be a very important year for, I think for Gary Patterson and TCU, whereas if this is just another kind of mediocre six and six, five and seven, seven and five kind of year, that might just be what we need to expect from TCU going forward. So this is, I don't know what to expect. I just know that that's what I'm going to be looking at this spring. I just want to see if I'd like to see improve at quarterback play. Cause I like Max Dukin, but I don't think that he sh- should be your answer. I think that I'd like to see him improve. I'd like to see some guys step up at the receiver spot to, create a little more, you know, explosiveness to the offense, really. I think the defense will probably still be pretty well coached. It'll be pretty good. I don't know if it's as talented as it has been in recent years, though, and I think that's a concern. So it's it's an important year, I think, for the Horned Frogs. I'm buying. Ooh, Ooh. nice. Yeah, I, I so look, I, I think Duggan is a dude who, you know, because of his inexperience playing football, still has some unlocked potential, right? He was actually a four-sport guy. In high school, I believe he was what uh, basketball, football, track, and wrestling. I think it was, um, you know, like like an Iowa kid. Like so, he's not a dude who grew up on the seven on seven circuit with the private quarterback coaching and all that stuff. So I think his, you know, his trajectory might be a little bit you know more up than than some other guys have who grew up sort of in like the quarterback factory. They've been coached with the private quarterback coach, you know, since a young age, et cetera. Um, that offense just needed to grow up last year. I, I do think the offensive line ha- had had struggles at times. Like they had like some of their stuff was just turning guys totally loose. It wasn't necessarily always getting whipped, but they were 122nd in havoc rate allowed. And remember only had 127 teams last year. Like Duggan had some issues. I think they had some, some missed checks. The receivers were largely inexperienced and not great. I just think you're going to see improvement basically all across the board there. Zach Evans came out, came along late. Zach Evans is a guy who, if he had his stuff together, very likely could have been a five-star for us on 24-7 sports. And talent-wise, was the number one back in that year's class that you know he, he ultimately signed with, TC, with TCU. My, my real concern here, which is weird to say about a Gary Patterson defense, uh, is, is the defense, right? And they, they were okay last year, but they weren't – I don't know. I, I didn't think they were, like, really, you know, all that amazing and – Top 20 was, was nice, but they – it surprises me the number of explosive plays they allowed last year given some of the names in the back end. I mean, when, when you have, you know, Wallow and Morgan and Washington and you're 126th in passing explosiveness allowed, like there's some kind of disconnect there. So maybe this year they'll play a little more conservatively on defense um, to counteract some of the losses they have because those are three pretty big names that you lose in the back end. But that was such a hit-or-miss defense last year. I mean – 
Like, who is seventh in passing success rate allowed and 126 in passing explosiveness allowed? Like, that doesn't happen. So, I, I'm, I think I'm buying. Mm-hmm. I think I'm buying. I like it. Yeah, That's the yeah. lukewarm endorsement of TCU. <laughs> I think Garrett Patterson is on the hot seat quietly. Um, you know, Ooh. I mean, you look at the last three years, seven and six, five and seven, six and four. Watch out for September 25th. Cal, interesting game from the Pac-12, September 11th. Then they play SMU. Like, if you lose to little old SMU right down the street, that's not going to bode well. I don't think they will, but that would be a disastrous loss. And that could be one of those ones where, you know, they just kind of get a little more frustrated. And if that unfolds, then you wonder where the program is going. Um, You know, I just – I think this team, clearly, it's not just this year – where they have struggled is on the offensive side of the ball. And in this conference specifically, if you struggle on the offensive side of the ball, and a lot of it's been inconsistent quarterback play and change over a coordinator, you're going to struggle. So I, I, I think you see this sometimes with defensive-minded coaches where they worry about what they do great, and they, you know, it's got to be incredibly frustrating for Gary Patterson to watch the struggles of the offense when he usually puts out a typically pretty stout defense and just not be able to win the games. But I think this is going to be a real interesting year for TCU. And I'm, I'm with you guys that I don't know exactly which way it's going to go. But you've had three years now where there's a body of work that is not too impressive. And it's, it's not – I think, you know, Gary Patterson, after the 2017 season when they went 11-3, and three, most – if you said who were the top five, top ten coaches in college football, Gary Patterson's name is coming up in almost all of them. But – it's very much what have you done for me lately? And maybe there's a, a thought of, well, maybe the message just isn't resonating anymore, you know, which I think is okay. And we've seen coaches changes made because of that before. So I think this is a, a huge year for Gary Patterson. I don't know if many people would be willing to say that he's on the hot seat, but I think he is. Three top 10 finishes in a four-year span and five top 10 finishes in less than a decade Uh from 2009 being 2008 being the first one 2017 being the last one and you're right we do the cbs sports coach rankings gary patterson is a mainstay at the top and it is going to be very interesting to see where everyone puts their ballot uh coming up this off season because nothing's better than ranking coaches (laughs) hey cover three listeners Opening day for the Major League Baseball season is this Thursday, April 1st. If you need any last-minute fantasy baseball prep, be sure to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5 with Frank Stanfield, Scott White, and Chris Towers. It's the best way to stay up-to-date with the biggest news items in fantasy baseball in five minutes or less. Download and follow anywhere you listen to this awesome podcast. Coming up on the other side, we take a look. Neil Brown in West Virginia, Chris Kleiman in Kansas State, Matt Wells making a coordinator change at Texas Tech, same ditto for Dave Aranda at Baylor, and um, we don't know what's happening at Kansas. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. West Virginia! Where are you? Four and four, Big 12 play, six and four overall. Um, where where does Jerry Daggy rank among the Big 12 quarterbacks? It's kind of wonder, you know, that's, I, I think it's a, a fair debate because you could try and tell me that he's, he's up there in the top like uh, three or four, or you could tell me that, you know, West Virginia fans might wish he had somebody else to push him. Uh, love Letty Brown at the running back position. The wide receivers were young last year. I don't have a feel for the pecking order. Defensively, we've got some losses. Uh, obviously, Darius Stills is the most obvious one. Just a an absolute knife from the interior defensive line. He was always great at just jumping off the snap, getting into the backfield, causing all kinds of problems. But so is linebacker Tony Fields the second. Now, in one hand, I feel like we found somebody who can come in and be that really high-end linebacker in a guy named Lance Dixon, a former four-star prospect from Penn State, but he won't be there this spring, so it's not a question that we can get answered. He'll be arriving a little bit later. I thought the defense was great last season, so as we as we look around this West Virginia team, I think the seeds are there for this to be a step forward. Um, where, where are y'all looking for, for answers and information this spring? I think the offense better take a huge step forward. Huge step forward. Because I think the defense is going to take a pretty sizable step backward. Just not be not to being like bad. It's just this defense was awesome. Re- yeah, like they led the Big 12 in points allowed per drive last year. They were number one at 1.52. They were ahead of Iowa State. They were ahead of Oklahoma. And you look at everybody that they lost, both expectedly and unexpectedly in the transfer portal, there is a lot that they have to replace on that side of the ball. So it's only natural to think that it's going to be very difficult for them to maintain that kind of level. So on the offensive side of the ball, like you asked about Jared Deggie, I'd say he's middle of the pack in the big 12. Mm -hmm. And you said that you could make an argument for top three or four. I think it better be a really good argument. If West Virginia is going to be, you know, competing for anything or getting to a bowl game this year. Cause I, I just, I see a situation where if the defense was able, if they didn't lose so much in the defense, I thought the offense was better than the numbers suggested. And I thought we saw reasons for improvement. I think that they just really had trouble finishing in the red zone and especially in goal to go situations last year. They, they, they settled for too many field goals. And I think that if you balance some of that out, all of a sudden that offense looks a lot better. And I think we're going to see that it's just on the other side of the ball. I feel like they're going to be giving more points back than they take. So I think this is like a six and six kind of seven and five season, but it's going to be interesting to watch that defense this spring to see if anybody pops and sticks out as somebody who's going to be a viable replacement, especially for the stills up front. Cause that's, that's two. Th- those are really important pieces that you're losing from that defense. They were what made that they, they did so much for that defense just with their presence, forget the production. So that's going to be huge. Tom, who do you take Spencer Sanders or Jared Deggy? Sanders, I, I just think that he could. It, God, it's don't not, you think like he's a top three or four quarter? Like you got to remember, Texas. I, I'm just defending Mandegi because he was a little bit conservative, uh, but he was pretty solid. He's solid, pretty decent. His numbers statistically are better than Spencer Sanders. Like 
I think if you give him the supporting cast that Brock Purdy had, he might bring more to Iowa State. Like, I think he has a tremendous amount of upside, but they got to draw it out of him. Like, from what you've seen, um, some of the numbers there on the pass game, uh, he had four straight games of over 300-yard passing games, which is like pedestrian in the Big 12. But in that, he only had three completions over 40-plus yards, tied for seventh among Big 12 quarterbacks at 6.9 yards per temp. So a little bit of a check-down situation there. But some of that's with an offensive line that was struggling somewhat. But I would say that Jared Daigie's pretty, like, towards the upper tier of returning quarterbacks. See, I think Sanders was better than Daigie last year because, yeah, he had him on yards, but he also threw like 130 more passes than Sanders did. And I think that if you look at his touchdown-interception ratio, he's like 14 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's great. But like you said, he was also kind of, you know, Johnny checked out. He wasn't really taking shots. He was he was in that kind of game manager mode for them last year because their defense was so good. And I feel like with the defense taking a step back, likely, you can't really afford Jarrett Daigie to just be, you know, the game manager type. You're going to need him to start making some plays. And I think I think at least Spencer Sanders with his legs provides me another avenue. If it's not there, he can maybe take off and get something for me and at least extend drives, pick, you know, like pick up first downs on third downs with, with his legs and stuff like that. I don't have the much, as much confidence in Daggy to do that. So I would take Sanders. I, I think I probably agree with Sanders, but I also, some of this is, is teammate dependent, right? So yeah. West Virginia last year, they could not throw a lick outside the numbers. Now, part of that, Maybe Deggy. Part of that might be that their outside receivers weren't worth a damn, right? But they, their their production outside the numbers was was poor. Not quite as poor as their offensive lines run blocking. Now, yeah, I I, I get it. You know, Letty Brown had a thousand yards. Blah 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 blah. They were 116th in rushing success rate. Right? They were 122nd in rushing opportunity rate. They popped a couple long ones that really skewed what their rushing stats looked like. But consistency, they were terrible running the ball. And they also couldn't push the ball down the field at all with the through the air. So basically, defenses just sat like tried to sit on the short stuff. And Deggy actually threw the short stuff fairly well. I mean, mainly just hit the bat, hit hit the backs and the slots over and over again. But like they were you know, okay throwing the ball defensively. Like, look, man, West Virginia is not a team that recruits on a level to where you feel confident that they're going to be able to replace guys. You know, like like Sills. It's just not. Not there. And then they've lost a ton in the defensive backfield. If you go back, listen to what Tom said. He didn't say, I think they will improve a ton on offense. What word did he say? He said, I think they better better. improve a whole lot on offense because he knows what's going to happen or thinks he knows what's going to happen on defense. And I agree with him. I'm not – sometimes it can be deceptive. This could be a step back on the field year for West Virginia while Coach Brown still has them going in the right direction overall, I, I think. And like the offensive line's inability to block and their inability to get the ball outside the hash marks kind of gives you an idea of why they struggled so much in the red zone. Because once defenses were able to just kind of settle in, take away everything that they were capable of doing, they just didn't have an avenue to beat them in that in that kind of crowded area. Exactly. The Kansas State Wildcats, four and five in Big 12 play, four and six overall. Bottom fell out for these boys. Injuries, COVID issues, uh, just ran off a losing streak to finish the season. We've got Skylar Thompson back for 2021, but not here in spring practice as he still recovers from a shoulder injury. Uh, Will Howard and four-star freshman Jake Rubley or Rubley? 
Rubley, maybe? Sure. We're going with Rubley. Jake Rubley. Uh, defense needs to reload. We got four transfers coming in on that side of the ball, including a couple of Power 5 transfers. And uh, this isn't great. Uh, if you want to be overwhelming opponents with your wide receiver talent, Kansas State's top two receivers last year were tight end Briley Moore and running back Deuce Vaughn. So, you know, maybe maybe not sustainable. Uh, so what's uh, what what's on the top of mind for Kansas State? I don't know. I think like the way that Kansas State plays offense, we could see a lot of seasons in which their leading receivers are tight ends and running backs. Hey, they can probably win just like how they're built to play. Yeah, they can win nine games with your leading right. receivers being running backs and tight ends, especially if you're running backs to spawn. Yeah, this is I mean, it's it's hard to know, like you said, with everything that they dealt with last year, it's hard to figure out what we could take away and what we should probably just ignore. I I, I like Chris Kleiman as a coach. So because of that. I always am a little more optimistic, I think, about what Kansas State can be and where they could be. And I think if Skylar Thompson comes back and he's healthy, I think that will help them. I think Deuce Vaughn is very fun to watch. I think he's one of the more exciting playmakers in the conference. So I think that helps them. Defensively, wasn't very great last year. I think we're going to need to see a better performance there. The kind of, you know, when you think of Kansas State, you kind of always think of defense and special teams. So, I have some confidence that we should see something of a bounce back there, but again, you can't assume it. So I think that's going to be an area I'm watching this spring. And I'd also like with, with Thompson out for the spring and Will Howard getting a lot more snaps and rubbly or rubly or whatever his name is or pronounced. I think it's good for them this spring that they're going to get a lot of reps because Will Howard came in last year for Skyler and he looked like a QB that needs a lot of reps. So I think that's good news for the Wildcats as far as building depth behind him going forward. So that's really what I'm looking at this spring from them. So if you recall back to the ACC episode, we talked about how crazy Miami split between explosiveness and efficiency was. Kansas State's got him beat. Kansas State was 115th <laughs> in, in offensive efficiency and 6th in explosiveness, which basically means if they didn't hit like a 30 or 40-yard play on that drive, they weren't scoring. The deuce um, thought effect. <laughs> basically, yeah. Um, I, I think Chris Kleiman is a very good coach. This, they sort of have a Northwestern feel to me where it's like, yeah, the numbers say Northwestern should be like five and seven, and yet there's no way in hell I'm betting on Northwestern to miss a bowl game just because I've seen some of this, you know, the, the close game magic that, that, that Coach Fitz pulls. I think Kleiman is, is sort of the same way based on how they play. My concerns, well, my existing concerns echo Tom's about the offense. So I, I have some questions there. Defensively, I have some some new questions, and – they lose Drew Wiley, and they lose Wyatt Huber. And those are big-time losses. Kansas State doesn't send a whole lot of, lot of you know, defensive linemen to the NFL. And both these guys look like they could be you know, NFL draft picks in 21. So replacing those dudes, to me, is a big-time deal because the rest of that defense isn't nearly as good you know, talent-wise if, if it doesn't have those difference makers up front. I think this team's going to be – I think that Northwestern – comp is pretty good like you, you can maximize there'll be some times when you get a senior veteran class you can maybe challenge for the upper tier but you're probably not going to be as good as ohio state kind of at kansas state you can be really good but you're not going to be as good as oklahoma or even texas um clearly and i you guys i'm sure skylar thompson was a super senior right one of the most impactful ones mentioned on there clearly when they lost him he's you know, had such an impact on the season, but I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I think the game against Stanford's going to be really interesting because 
it opens up the season. Stanford, you know, is kind of in this spot where we don't know exactly where to get from them. Like that could either propel the Big 12 and the or the Pac-12. It kind of has a lot of weight from that one, but it probably is a radar uh, a game that'll be off the radar a little bit. And I think like since we're talking about Northwestern, Stanford's another similar school where you got to kind of maximize your talent while they're there. But I I'm I think the, you know, the offense returns all five starters. They've got some good pieces returning offensively. I just, it's probably a middle of the pack, big 12 team. Do you think that they are just like, they lost to Arkansas state then beat, beat Oklahoma. Like I kind of felt like that was the a great representation of Kansas state football, right? Like you just, you, there, there's no way that you could expect the same thing for, for an entire season. Yeah. No chance. Yeah. Texas Tech, three and six in Big 12 play, four and six overall. This is the landing spot for Tyler Shuck, the former Oregon quarterback who arrives. And we got some raves, baby. We got coaches raving about how this guy just has to be run out of the facility. You know, he he's working too hard, boys. He's too committed to getting better. New offensive coordinator Sonny Cumbie says he just can't can't say enough about him. You got to run him out of the facility. Uh, so hey, they're excited. You got uh, your job as Texas Tech quarterback Tyler Shuck is to score thirty eight points a game because it does not seem to matter what kind of scheme we're running, what the players look like. Texas Tech defense is going to be giving up at least thirty five points a game. So good. Good luck, Tyler. Uh, at the wide receiver position, uh, you lose TJ Vasher uh, and a few more other key contributors, but Eric Izukama, right? Eric Izukama, I think, is going to be uh, your wide receiver number one. Uh, again, defensively, it's still Keith Patterson as the defensive coordinator. They weren't great last year. Not expecting them to be great this year. So the, the, the big headline is your new offensive coordinator and your new quarterback, Let's see if they can go put together one of the more high-end Texas Tech offenses, which, at its ceiling, historically, can still be pretty darn good. I, Danny, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about TCU, about how the problems you felt like for TCU in recent years were offensively. Like, offensively, they've struggled in recent years. And it's like, now we need to see them take that kind of step forward if TCU is going to take a step forward. Chip. You mentioned that Sonny Cumbie is Texas Tech's new offensive coordinator. Where did Sonny Cumbie spend the last five seasons as an offensive coordinator? TCU. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch that this spring. But I, I do think that Texas Tech's offense last year was decent. You mentioned the defense as well. And that was a problem right from the start when against, like, what, Houston Baptist they were allowing like eight yards per play in the season opener. And you All thought, of okay. the Baptists in Houston were allowed to score touchdowns against <laughs> yeah. Texas Tech. And that week you're telling yourself, well, COVID season, it's the first week, no real buildup. We, we shouldn't read too far into that. And it's true. They did not give up eight yards per play again that season, but they didn't do much better against anybody. Like they had a few games where they were solid against like Kansas and other bottom tier. I think Baylor, they played well. But other than that, it was like, you know, we got a new coach who's bringing in a new style, but it was the same story with Texas Tech where defensively it didn't really matter what they did on offense because they were just going to give the points right back. So for me this spring, there's going to be plenty of tension on Sonny Cumbie and that offense and Shuck coming in. Man, that team needs to take a step forward on the defensive side of the ball. And 
I, I, I have reasons to think it's not, it could happen because when they made the Matt Wells hire, I thought it was a good hire. And to this point, I don't think we've seen the, or I've seen the kind of impact that I thought he was going to have on this program. So I think this is a pretty big year for Matt Wells and this team and this program. So if it's going to happen, it's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball. So that's, if I'm a Red Raiders fan right now, that's what are all my focus is this spring. Guess who was, uh, Texas Tech was actually number one in the country in something. You guys know what it is? Turnovers? Passes behind the line of scrimmage. Hell yes. 30, 35% of their passes were behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, not coincidentally, they really didn't throw the ball at all to the slots or the or the, uh, the, the tight ends. It was mostly just you know slip screens and, uh, and, and swings to the backs. And that was so, mostly with uh, – Alan Bowman got hurt for a little bit, right? With now yeah, Michigan uh, uh, Henry Columbia came in. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so that is something I, I would definitely expect to see improved – with, with the new QB play, getting the ball down the field, actually working the ball between the hashes some might actually occur this year. That, that'd be solid. Um, but, you know, really, if this team's going to improve, it has to get better on the defensive line. 115th last year in defensive line havoc. I mean, that's just – that's too many times opposing quarterbacks are operating with a clean pocket. And in, in the Big 12, that's just going to get you killed. So – and it did, repeatedly, like, like Tom mentioned. So – D-line improvement is is my real question here. I, I think they'll be better at the QB position. I think this team – obviously, I think it's a huge year for Matt Wells, although I didn't exactly inherit – I mean, it's kind of what Texas Tech has been. How hard is it to change the identity of great offense and subpar defense? But that's exactly what they've been for the past 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, I mean, even Cliff Kingsbury, who somehow parlayed his five and seven – six and seven, five and seven finish into a job at the Arizona Cardinals is still sort of beyond me because he's friends with Sean McVay, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I do, I look, if you look deeper in the results, I mean, how about the roller coaster ride of almost getting beat by Houston Baptist, then taking Texas to overtime in weeks one and two for Texas Tech? You know, and they were, you look deeper, like they were pretty competitive in a lot of their games. So, like, I have hope for them. I think Matt Wells, I covered him a couple times when he was at Utah State. I really liked him. I liked his energy. I thought he had a plan. I think, you know, I kind of feel like he's a good hire for Texas Tech, but at some point, you got to start converting and winning some of those games. And I, I don't know, the Tyler Shuck thing was interesting because I was a little bit surprised when he left Oregon. I think he's a pretty good quarterback, so I think they'll get an upgrade at quarterback. So I think you'll see... I think not a breakout season, but I think you'll see a better, more stable season with more wins as a result for Texas Tech. Tyler Shuck says that Tyler Shuck got 20 to 30 calls when he put his name in the transfer portal. That doesn't surprise me at all. I believe that. Are you mocking him, Chip? Are you saying, because I think he would be one that a lot of schools would call on. 20 to 30 seemed high, but I, I didn't, I mean, I obviously didn't, that only is on, it did not make the notepad. It's just still on my mind. <laughs> it just resonates. Yeah. chip. A lot yeah. of these schools that don't even need somebody, like it's their job in the office to do their due diligence. So they go ahead and call just to figure out, okay, like why is a kid leaving? Do they find out something about that program that, you know, maybe like they're interested in why he's leaving Oregon. Mm. They, 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 they want the dirt. Like these schools call. 20 to 30. Multiple dozens. <laughs> Tyler Shuck hater. Uh, Baylor was two and seven last season. They opted not to participate in the postseason. Uh, Larry Fedora 
out as offensive coordinator after one glorious season where they couldn't run the ball and the offense was bad. Charlie Brewer is gone as well. He's off to Arizona, right? Yes. I think so. No, Utah. Utah. Charlie Brewer's at Utah. Um, Jacob Zeno or Jerry Bohannon, that's going to be your quarterback competition to watch. Jeff Grimes is the new offensive coordinator. He comes from BYU. So Jeff Grimes also, I believe, has offensive line coach background as well. Does that sound right? And uh, so I think you got to be able to fix things up front. You got to be able to find a way to run the ball. And as offensive coordinator, you're going to be tasked with trying to figure out um, how to put it all together. Yes. Offensive line coach at Auburn and Virginia tech. I knew I had that from somewhere. So like when I saw the move, I thought, you know, all right, Jeff Grimes, you just had Zach Wilson. Like now it's time to cash in, right? Like you're not going to be hotter uh, as an offensive coordinator than you are. So you've got this opportunity. You're going to go to Baylor, very interesting to see uh, how things come together for the Bears offense. Dave Aranda, I guess we trust for the Bears defense, but that's not as many questions, especially with all the turnover that we have on offense. So as Dave Aranda prepares for year two, where's uh, where's the expectations and the curiosity? See, I am super pumped about Jeff Grimes. Okay. Ooh, okay. That Baylor offense was really fun to watch. And it was really okay. interesting to watch. It was so good that Zach Wilson is not you mean B- a oh, better that, quarterback that BYU. than Justin Fields. Yeah, BYU. Or, that, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, yes. BYU. Like that, if, I feel like Zach Wilson is a very good quarterback who Jeff Grimes made look a lot better. Because I think that that offense was well-designed and well-schemed. And it was he did a very good job Agreed. of getting receivers open. He got Romney's wide open. Multiples. It, Yes. Exactly. So I, I think that, you know, <laughs> Baylor, Baylor really needs an infusion of offense because that offense was awful last year. Like they, it was, ugh. and to go from where they had been like the year before with Matt rule to Dave Aranda. And it's like, obviously we kind of expected it with Aranda being his defensive coordinator background. You always see that kind of happen, but I think this is a very good move. And I think if I'm a Baylor fan, it's a move that excites me because I think that that alone will improve it. I, I don't think they're going to jump out to have the same kind of season BYU did, but this spring, that's what I'm watching if I'm a Baylor fan because it's it's a very entertaining offense to watch. And like just from a whether you're watching like the all 22 crushing film or you're just watching it as a fan, there's a lot of little interesting wrinkles in there that you, you might enjoy. I, I'm interested to see how much Dave Randall lets him operate. Uh, Dave Aranda is kind of on my like no bet list as a head coach already. I thought his game management was really poor last year. Um, he uh, managed a game like somebody was like he was going to go for it on fourth down, a lot of really really short gains, and then they'd get to fourth and three on the <laughs> opponent's thirty-eight punt. <laughs> yeah, I mean like D- Dave Aranda kneecapped his team a lot of times, you know, and it, it that that sucks for their offense. They had to play under him like that. We'll see if he adjusts as a head coach, but like the game management decisions were bad, like just some of the worst you you would see on a weekly basis. I, I know Tom, if you were, if you were live betting that stuff, you were like, Oh my God, like the algorithm's not going to count for this. Um, <laughs> under, they were under gods last yeah, year. Right. And it wasn't inefficiency, although it was, but like some of that stuff was, was really bad decision-making. So I'm very interested to see that. We won't know in spring if, if he improves upon that. Um, they were just so bad on offense last year in basically every area except for short passes. So I really wonder like, what do they lose in Brewer? Was Brewer like Utah taking Brewer makes me wonder like if he was actually good, or you know maybe they're just taking a shot like because he was okay in 2019. Um, I man, I don't know. Like uh, to to drive home your point a little bit, 
Baylor punted on 47% of its drives last year. The only team in the Big 12 that punted more often was Kansas at 54.3%, and the national average was 38.4%. So Baylor punted about 10% more often than the national average team. Yeah. Uh, so Baylor was 100th in scoring offense last year, 23.3 points a game. When Grimes took over BYU in 2018, he was coming off season BYU was 124th in scoring offense. Then he went from 79th to 67th to last year, they finished at number three with 43 and a half points a game. Now, I hear what you're saying, Tom, about excited about Jeff Grimes, but there's a part of me that says, oh, Zach Wilson's going to be a top three, top five pick in the draft this year. I don't know if Jacob Zeno or Jerry Bohannon are going to be those type of guys. Um, I hear that, but I don't think Zach Wilson's a top three or five quarterback in the draft this year without Grimes. Right. And it goes hand in hand. I do think, so. I, but he's clearly an incredibly talented quarterback, mm-hmm. but I, I think you'll see improvement, but I'm, I'm with you. I would say, Hey, if it wasn't working, which it wasn't make a change, rip the bandaid off, go in a new direction. So I credit Dave Aranda for that. And I was wrong on Baylor last year. I thought they could be a 500 team, maybe even, you know, I, I think I took the over on the win total for them last year and was disastrously wrong. Um, no spring practice last year. They get that back. I and mean, it's kind of like all the first year coaches we talked about. Now you have the advantage of a full spring. Hopefully you're are at the quarterback position and you kind of feel like Aranda is a defensive minded guy, which clearly is where some of this punting comes from. <laughs> they trust your defense. Um, the defense has to get better too. I mean, like, I, I just think this will be an improved team. It's just a matter of how much improvement do you see? And the Kansas Jayhawks. Oh, and eight last year. 0-9, oh, 0-8 oh, in Big 12 play, 0-9 oh, overall, and I've got no clue. I I don't I don't know. I I there is about their coach or about their season or about, about anything. Any, any I got a meeting. I, I got to bounce. I'll see you guys. But my my Kansas thing is blank because they, they haven't even hired a head coach. So <laughs> yeah, I'll see I, you guys. Exactly. Yeah, I'm uh I I don't know. So I do. Do you have any any expectations? What can we learn? I, I what can we learn? The worst team in college football. Yeah, I mean, it's I hate saying it because it just seems so mean and cheap and easy, but it's just given Kansas's history and then looking at everything that's happening there this off <laughs> this off season, how could you have any kind of optimism about what's going to happen in twenty twenty one? Yeah, I don't know. I've got no clue. I probably like we've been running this podcast for longer than our normal podcast. We're not just trying to get out of here. Like we really don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know. Their win total is going to be a half game, right? Or no, they have, do they have, but even if that's their if they schedule, have a, I, I mean, it's probably gonna be a half game, maybe one and a half, but I would probably take the under. <laughs> you want to break down their schedule right now? That'll be our Kansas segment. Let's see. Okay. They open with South Dakota. Ah, we can't assume that's a win. Second game is at Coastal. They've lost their own two against them. Yeah. Baylor, probably lost. not. At Duke, uh, at wow. Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, at Oak State, Kansas State, Texas, at TCU, West Virginia. It's like they have to win that South Dakota game. To be able, yeah. yeah. If it's, they're going to set it at one with awful juice. That's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Just leave open the push. Because they won't want you betting on it either. <laughs> uh, he is Tom Fernell. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him off somewhere at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
Thank you. See ya.